Welcome to the Maker in the Mix podcast. I'm your host, Caleb Lawson, and together with Jeff Gerard, we delve into the fascinating world of concrete. Join us as we share our expertise, explore innovative techniques, and uncover the truth behind high-performance concrete. From the Concrete Countertop Institute, we bring you a podcast rooted in foundational knowledge, integrity, and the pursuit of truth. Let's embark on this concrete journey together. So welcome, sure. everybody. Yeah. Hey there. Uh, Jeff and I have been, um, you know, kind of talking already a little bit, uh, but um, we got to prime what? the pump, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> At least uh, I as you can see, I'm gonna. If you're if you're watching and not listening later, um, Caleb got in trouble. And he knows in the oh, yeah, yeah. I'm in the dock now. <laughs> um, I I did. I got in a little bit of. Oh, we're not gonna call it trouble, uh, but I was in the shop. I've been in the shop recording. Obviously, these things. Um, hopefully, you can hear me well. I'm not using my regular mic. I'm using the microphone on my phone. Yeah, you um, sound okay. Fine. Good. Uh, but I. I was thinking this morning, I was like, the, my guys can't do any work in my shop if I'm also in there trying to record a podcast and the dog's barking and all this, which the dog doesn't bother me. But um, so I thought, OK, I'm going to try recording it from home. But also it's summer and my two six year old boys are very much home. Uh, and. uh they're weirdly not awake yet, which is kind of unusual for eight o'clock on a Wednesday. Um, but I thought, okay, where am I going to record this? I thought the garage. Garage is a great idea. Couldn't find a good outlet. Uh, and also it was cold in there because um, the garage I chose, this is a weird thing, that, but we have two garages. Uh, one's in the basement, one's upstairs. Can I have one? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'll just move one to your house. Uh, and... Um, the basement garage is air conditioned, which is a new a new one for me. Uh, but it gets very cold because the thermostat is upstairs. Yeah, uh, yeah, and there um, sinks. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, um, and well, not only that, the thermostat's upstairs, and so it you know the AC runs for a while because all the windows are also upstairs, mm -hmm. and then it gets really cold in the basement. Anyway. Um, on top of that, it's a basement, which is cold anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, long story short, there's this lovely little room. I am directly beneath the hot tub. And uh, the this is like the room where all of the Christmas decor was stored when my in-laws lived here. Um, for those this of you is going to become know. the new, new uh, studio. It's going to become the new studio slash whiskey room. Um, but uh, my wife and I uh, bought, our, bought her parents house and we're very slowly remodeling it so i'm in this uh empty but very nicely quiet um room where the water heater lives the hot tub's above me you're in a shelf it's great you know it's great it works <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah so i mean in the remodel world i've been uh, learning how to dry drywall mud. I mean, and I can hang drywall. You can screw a sheet to the wall. But we're uh, we have like an absolute just ton of 1991 wallpaper oh, in the house. Apparently, uh, there's a there's a professional trick of when you have a, a drywall mud in a bucket, you squirt some dish soap in it and add some water, and it makes it creamier. And I've never done it. It's been a long time since I had to do drywall, but my yeah, that's uh, 
I, I saw, I don't know if it was a TikTok or a YouTube where it's like you can, if you walk into a job site and you see somebody using drywall mud out of a bucket and not doing anything to it, you know, they don't know what they're doing. So, oh, well, they, there you then go. Know, right? I don't know what I'm doing. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I did put it into one of those tray things. Right, right. But, and I mixed oh. it around first. I thought you were supposed oh. to put it in a hopper gun. Yeah. <laughs> spray it all over everywhere. But, um, yeah, what's going on in uh, in your world? So, yeah, oh, I'm in a garage on. basement closet. You know, you're in your office per usual. I'm getting ready for another round of testing coming up. Uh, hopefully, next week I'll start um, looking at zooming in and finalizing. I'm really uh, impressed, by the way, at the organization in there because... Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, it's, well done. it's been, been a challenge, but you know how it is, like I said, doing spring cleaning, organizing things and, um, you know, just getting rid of, uh, clutter and stuff like that. It's, it's refreshing. Um, years and years ago, uh, let's see, it was 13 years ago when I moved out of one of my shops, just getting rid of all the crap that had accumulated over the years. Um, yeah, dumpsters oh, full of stuff. So, oh, listen, I mean, you know, old molds and pieces of concrete that you're like, well, I'll do something with it, or you know, tools that didn't really work, but maybe I'll get around to fixing them or cleaning them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, you know, I, I, I mean, we, we did a whole episode <clears throat> on cleaning, uh, mm -hmm. uh, eight, ten weeks ago, but, uh, it's worth repeating, you know, I, um, there, there were a few things that you didn't need anymore that you gave me. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there were a couple of cabinets and, and obviously, you know, some, there were some old molds as, as well. And uh, in, in trying to find space in my shop, which, you know, you don't think about it. Cause I set my shop up, you know, just under three years ago, which is not that long in the grand scheme of things. And, I filled up a dumpster and a half getting my shop cleaned out after three years. And that was after having done a big spring, you know, spring cleaning when I moved yeah. from Orlando, which was a bigger shop. Um, so I, you know, I intentionally chose a much smaller shop, um, which now I don't, I definitely don't regret it. Um, but there are some things that I've got kind of in the pipeline that, are going to make me want more space. So we'll see where that goes. But that's always, um, a, you know, one of those challenges. And when we, you know, I've been helping people get into this business for, hmm, it'll push in 20 years, right? 20 years next year. And when you think about your shop, right, it's the single most expensive and valuable tool and asset that you have. Mm -hmm. It is the place that you do your craft. It is the place mm -hmm. where your money comes from. And having something that is too small or too big is just as detrimental as having something that kind of only sort of works. Mm -hmm. um, well, and, and I had my, so I've had, this is my third shop. Um, my first shop, was pretty open. It was honestly pretty similar in shape and scope and size to what I have now, with the exception of mm -hmm. it had two big bay doors and no show space. So it was one big open cube. 
Um, the downside was it was uh, one of those metal buildings. It was like a metal warehouse mm-hmm. uh, in Orlando, Florida, with no tree covering at all. So it was a poster. <laughs> Uh, I think you you came there a couple of times, once yeah. or twice anyway. And I mean, in the summer, it was like 109 in it's there. Hot. Yeah, that's um, brutal. And you know, I had like one back door, so there's really there was no good way to get flow. I mean, you just had to blow air in from the outside. You couldn't yeah. like make it circulate because anyway. Uh, and then the second shop was just, I mean, it was much bigger, but it was dreadful in in the scope of like making things ergonomic. Like it it was. It was long. It had. It was really an awkward shape. It was really weird. It was a big space, but then it had like a third of it had a floor over it that was not part of my space. So that was really low ceilings. And then, like, you had those columns, spaces, ton of columns. And then it had this back section that was also really low ceilings. And I couldn't get a forklift through the back door, and the pit was back there. So I couldn't drive the forklift over it anyway. Um, I, it was just, it was, so, I mean, honestly, I had 4,200 square feet and I think I could use half of it. Yeah. So um, if I had to, if I had to say one thing and I don't want to like get off into shop design or anything like that, um, which is a topic of a future podcast, I'm yeah, sure. For sure. But, um, <clears throat> if I had to say there's one thing or two things, two things that are critically important. And I've been in a lot of people's shops from brand new shops that have been that I helped set up to shops that have been running for, you know, 15, 20 years Uh is number one, good organization. So I get, you know, if, if you, for all my students who have been to my shop um, for class, my toolboxes, you know, the rolling toolboxes that mechanics use, I have several of those. Every drawer is labeled. So if you want to know where the knives are, yeah, and I did that. Drawer labeled knife. knives. Where are the measuring tapes? They're in the drawer labeled measuring tapes, and it's written in paint pen on it. So yeah, you can I took see that advice uh, a couple years ago, and it was really helpful. And you know, knowing where things go, where things are, and where things should be, makes a huge difference in terms of the amount of time you save just wandering around looking for something. And second is keeping things clean. Mm-hmm. So like like in your old shop, the last shop you moved out of in Orlando, the, the shop you inherited, um, the, the thing that I bumpy. really lamented was the fact that your floor was so bumpy and mm-hmm. so uneven that it was almost a tripping hazard. And mm-hmm. that was not because you were messy. It was, no, it was because a cultured marble shop before me and it was cultured uh, me shop, Yeah. And you would have had to like jackhammer the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been in shops. <laughs> yeah, I was in a, a shop. This was maybe seven, eight years ago in uh, Reno, Nevada, and it was, you know, a nice, fairly new steel building. Had a concrete floor, kind of really nice conditions, and nobody kept anything clean. Mm-hmm. And there were just piles of concrete. You know, they'd scrape off the forms, and it would just fall on the floor, and there'd be lumps of concrete everywhere. And you had to watch where you were going because otherwise you'd trip. And yeah. it's like, how? That, that's just careless. That's well, big, you know. Big... And and one thing on the floor topic, you know, I didn't do this in my shop. I, I pressure wash a lot and mm-hmm. I scrape the floor a lot. And, you know, that's worked for me. One thing I will say that uh, Martin had it, duck it, 
he changed his name on Facebook uh, recently. Um, but anyway, he is moving into a new space and he did epoxy on the floor, like a, you know, full on white or, you know, two part kind of primed and then and then two part epoxy on the floor uh, for that exact reason. And I was like, that is that is smart. Um, I, I think he's doing his new shop really the right. He's taking a lot of care. Um, and then, you know, you've got folks uh, like. Patrick Galladay, who coincidentally is, I think, going to restart his podcast, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which I'm excited about. I enjoyed that. Um, so it was funny. I think he, what did he post on all the groups? He's like, let me know if you want me to restart it, you mm-hmm. know? And, and, and my response was as one of the two options out there, I think you should go for it. Yeah. Um, you know, cause I really enjoyed, I, I think the more voices, the better. And I really liked, uh, I liked his perspective on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the guests he had on and, and the production value, I think he really took the time to produce the podcast, um, which is great. So uh, I hope that comes back. I can only imagine how much work that takes. Oh, I mean, yeah. I know how much work it takes to do this. And, hey, we're just kind of at it, right? <laughs> this, is, this is fairly primitive. I mean, uh, you know, it's the... The platform is better and the audio is better and you know we've we've kind of upgraded a little bit from our previous setup but um and you know i can i can do things like this uh but uh hey, you know please spare no expense here <laughs> uh, of Jurassic Park. oh my gosh do i have a no uh what uh what else is going on in the concrete world that you've been hearing about oh so i you know we as a lot of people know you know cci is primarily a and has always been a an informational educational company right so we're the first truly technically based and we still are truly the only technically based um teaching school, um, you know, I have an engineering background, so strong, legitimate technical foundations. Um, you know, it's not just based on, hey, this is what I learned how to do over the years and I'm sharing my mistakes and all that. I'm channeling engineering and all that. We've already talked about that. So we also have um, over the years through a, a need uh, develop products. So the first first product I developed with it's going on what five six years now um, was Omega. Seven. I think I've been using years. it for seven years. Seven years, okay. So it's been a while. Um, it's easy to lose track of time, right? Was that twenty? Um, our, our Omega concrete countertop sealer, um, which is a topical sealer um, because topical sealers are consistent and proven to work. Um, they don't depend on a whimsical array of concrete chemistries and uh, days of the week or how you hold your feet and all that to maybe work. Uh, they always work because the chemistry is fixed. Um, and then I developed Ovation, which is a, um, it's positioned as a DIY level sealer, but I mean, you have it in your own kitchen, right? And you've, yeah, you know, I do. It's funny. I, um, (laughs) I did it as an experiment because I'm like, okay, Surely, you know, I, I mean, I think initially when you told me about it, I thought it was an acrylic and it's not, it's a, it's, not. Um, it's a hybrid it's, urethane, it's urethane, but, yeah. um, 
it is as easy to apply as an acrylic, which I find very fun. Uh, it just, I mean, you can't screw it up. Um, it, it like you spray. So if you use Omega, which you should, uh, if you're using any topical and I am not going to down topicals cause I've got, you know, I've used every friggin' sealer in the sealer sphere. I think at this point or close to it. Um, and this is the best one I've found. No sealer is perfect. We're never going to tell you that every sealer is perfect, but I really, really like uh, Omega. That said, uh, when you introduced Ovation, you sent me a quart or whatever. And I was like, well, I'm doing my kitchen and let's just see how this goes. Sure. Why not? Um, and, you know, because I mean, my, uh, my patient wife has dealt with all of my sealer changes over the years because we've pretty much always had concrete uh, in our kitchen. Um, and, you know, when Omega first came out, I had just done my kitchen at home in Orlando with, um, I don't remember if it was 327 or, or RPS. RPS was Buddy Road Sealer. Um, yeah. Reactive something or other. Anyway, um, and I was uh, less than thrilled and i hate to say that because you know but that's it, why you it, try things on yourself yeah um you know we we had i mean we're really good to our stuff like you know we i have a concrete sink in my kitchen which i don't usually do for clients because they're really wear prone and you know i mean we take care of our stuff somebody came into my kitchen two days ago and the uh, the, the countertops in there are two years old um and I mean, at this point, and what color I, are they? Oh, they're white. Yeah, white. It's white marble, uh, marbled. Um, and I mean, sink looks fine. Now we bleach it because that's how you keep a concrete sink clean, right? Um, and uh, so, but there's like there's maintenance involved, mm -hmm. right? Um, now for bathrooms and stuff, that's a totally different story. Uh, I happily install bathroom and outdoor kitchen sinks all the time love them uh we'll have them in every room in my house but i think a kitchen sink ought to be stainless or or enamel cast iron something, or something. else yeah generally I speaking I, and it should not be integrated mine's integrated so it's like I, I do the things you shouldn't do right um but all of that to say i am beyond impressed because what i expected was what was that um acrylic sealer that you were using as a, a cheap, quick sealer, when I took class in 13, that was V, V, um, we oh, sealed that. K6. Yeah. 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 I don't yeah, think yeah. anybody uses that anymore. Um, so we were using, you were using TK6. It was an easy to apply HDLP yeah. kind of thing. Um, and that's what I like expected in terms of performance out of this sealer. Right. And so, you know, you set the expectations really low, honestly, right. um, which, and, when I first got it, I did some testing on it, and then this was like a real world test. But when I did the testing on it, I was blown away because I, I took testing on ovation, both Omega and ovation. I oh, took okay. a four foot by two foot, um, like panel of concrete that I had, mm -hmm. it was like a cutoff or something from a panel. I made a large panel and mm -hmm. made it too big intentionally, cut it down. I had this thing you know left over and i sealed half of it with ovation half of it with omega and on the omega half i did one pro I, I don't remember it i have pictures of it somewhere but it was like 
one prime two finish codes, two prime three finish codes, two prime four finish codes, mm -hmm. right? Yep. Uh, and the two prime four finish codes is what I do as a standard now, right. and then that's what uh, we recommend. Yeah. Yeah, and then I did, uh, which coincidentally three prime is really nice. Actually, I know it's more sealer, but um, that, to me it makes a difference. But anyway, um, then I did ovation. I think two, three, and four coats. Mm -hmm. um, just as is, you just put it in a spray bottle, dilute it, uh, two parts ovation, one part water. Uh, Windex bottle is super easy, my favorite, yeah. but you spray it and you back roll it and you're done. Uh, and I have not found a way to screw it up yet. Like you can't make it look bad. Um, and, uh, I did it and I waited for it to cure a full week, uh, both. And then I did like stain testing, drew the grid out and did all the different things for all the different hours and all this stuff. Um, as you would expect, mustard left a stain, uh, on, and, and, you know, whatever, Omega, easy to clean up, no big deal. The mustard, after 24 hours, left a stain, got it out with bleach, no mm -hmm. problem. Um, but there were some stains I couldn't get out of Ovation. Mustard was one of them. And anyway, what was the weirdest thing was I cleaned, I cleaned it. And then I was done with my testing. I'd figured out what happened. You know, I was happy with the results for, for bathrooms and bird baths, like you've got one in your backyard. Um and so, you know, my, my general thought was, okay, I'm going to use ovation for things that don't need kitchen protection. Right. Um, and that's generally the kind of recommendations we have for professionals, right? For a homeowner doing it themselves, sure, it's going to be an extra couple coats on it and you'll be fine. Couple but... Coats, but for, you know, you're doing a job for somebody who doesn't know what they're getting, it's safer to have something of a higher protect level of protection because you have to kind of think for them whereas a homeowner is making that choice and they're more aware that said um two weeks later all the stains were gone wow and i don't know why this is very anecdotal and i'm not sure what happened because I, I'm, you know, I'm going to use some language that i was told by somebody else a long time ago and i think this is all you know it's it's it, it's smoke and mirrors kind of talk. It, it's the stain was pushed out. No. Yeah. By what? I don't know. Magic. Um, mm -hmm. So it's the magic sealer that uh, magic sealer, itself. Yeah. Um, so all of that to say, super thrilled with Ovation. I've got it in my kitchen. And actually, at the time, I misunderstood the instructions. So I did it two parts water to one part Ovation. That, that's probably um, why. Yeah. And and that's what I did in my kitchen. And now I did like seven coats because I was like, yeah. all right, kitchen. But seven coats of the wrong dilution. So I've really only got three and a half coats on there in theory. Um, and, and, and something that I don't want to get. Fine. Again, this is another topic we can really deep dive in, 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 um, in another podcast is both of my sealers. So Omega and Ovation, they're both urethane based. Um, Omega is a two part and Ovation is a single part. And both use water as a dilutant, but neither depend on the water for curing. The water mm -hmm. is there just to make it easy to apply and easy to get a very good finish. Yeah, and so the humidity doesn't matter. Humidity, in fact, drying is an important aspect of this. Yeah, throw that, fans that's, on it. That's why we 
apply it so thin um, and that's why that you can you can apply another coat uh, very very quickly whereas in a lot of other sealers you have yeah, to wait a long time um, because moisture is you want the moisture to go away so the faster it goes away the faster you can keep keep going and that's all I'm going to yeah. say on this but, but uh, yeah so and 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 you know we're two years into these countertops um you know we had a party lauren got some barbecue for my birthday and i had a bunch of guys over for a poker night uh last year and one of the sauces was a mustard sauce and it's it you know leaked out of a container and it sat under the container for several hours and there was a there was a spot right and after everybody left, I cleaned it and threw a paper towel with some bleach on it, went to bed, stained on. Um, and, and that's the only time it's really stained. Uh, right. And it was, you know, it's it's caught in the sealer. That's what people, I think, are confused by. It's like, oh, it's stained. I'm like, yeah, in the sealer. It protected right. the concrete, which is its job. Bleach it out and you're good. So, I mean, that's that's the purpose of a, seal, of a, a sealer, no matter what it is. It's to protect the concrete. And because if a stain gets in the concrete, that game over, right? Yeah, you got to hone um, it, or it, you, you know, hone it, it, or you got to whatever, right? It's really, really hard to get out. Uh, here is an interesting anecdotal story that's very current and right on topic. I was talking to Dylan Myers uh, earlier this week. If you don't follow Dylan, go follow him. Dylan yeah. underscore Myers underscore design on Instagram. Crazy guy. Amazing, amazing work. We love him. So he had a good friend um, and super talented artist. Yeah, we were talking about how he had been doing this. He does a lot of big commercial work uh, near in Baltimore, near Baltimore and near Washington, D.C. And um, he had been doing a lot of work for this one, one company and he hadn't really heard from him in a while. Mm -hmm. And it's like, kind of following up on you know why why things had story. kind of why the work work had dried up even though they were very busy and uh long story short it, it turns out that he had done uh like a a a break break room kitchen for one of their places one of the architects yeah one of the ar the architects yeah and um the reason why they weren't calling him back was they thought that the concrete was staining and the reason and that was the reason why they were calling back because they were not happy with the performance of the concrete so he went out there and um and looked at it and it turns out they were just doing a really bad job of cleaning it or cleaning it they so he cleaning cleaned it. it with what a scotch brite and some simple green and it was brand new something like that yeah and I had a customer once a long, long time ago, and this has nothing to do with staining of the concrete, but um, we had installed countertops and in, in the process of seaming it, you know, cleaning things up, there's always a little bit of haze and stuff because if you're dealing with a, a fresh caulk joint, you don't want to be like wiping and washing over that fresh joint. It's going to just smear it and make it a, make it a mess. So there's going to be a little bit of haze. And... You know, that's a conversation I had with the homeowner. It's like, hey, you know, uh, tomorrow you can clean these, but don't touch these tonight. Uh, all you have to do is, you know, take a paper towel and some Windex. And, and maybe, maybe if it's a little bit more tenacious, you get a nonstick 
you know, one of those sponges that have the non-scrubby pads are usually blue on them. You can use a little, you know, Windex or your favorite cleaner and, and just give it a little bit of mild elbow grease on that in case it's stubborn, right? But it's just something you have to do. And apparently those words went one in, in one ear and out the other because we got a call like three days later, hey, my countertops are all stained. There's something wrong with the sealer. Come out and look at it. And they never even bothered to try to clean it. It's like, come on, people. Yeah. Um, so, like, to me, staining is something permanent, and you have to put a lot of work to get to undo it. And if if something like a tea stain or, say, mustard stain, it discolors the surface. Now, the thing that, about the yellow mustard that makes it very, very... Um, tough and tenacious is the turmeric in it and yeah and 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 i want to interject because you know i think there's a lot of misconception out there of you know i've i've seen a lot of this right um well the everything's amazing because my sealer beats water so what (laughs) i don't know that that's uh the put mustard on it please like Put mustard on it, and then you know, mustard has vinegar. Put vinegar on something too. Um, It's just not. um, That's not an adequate stain test. Yeah, it's just not. No, it's not an adequate protection test. That is anecdotal. It makes you feel better, but I could put wax on it, and it would do the same thing. Yeah, and a simple test with wax shows that that's a a very very small speed bump. It doesn't like that logic right i could go get some scotch bright uh or scott what is that scotch guard in yeah. a can just spray mm-hmm. my concrete and we'd be good i've tested if... that 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 repellent stuff doesn't work work by work mean it keeps the concrete from getting damaged or stained from things like acid because most food has is acidic especially things like mustard and tea and wine and pickles and Lemons. Acid, yeah. right? Yeah. Acids and, and... are very damaging to concrete. And that's not a stain. That's that's chemical damage. That's right. no and different so... than taking a hammer and chisel to your concrete. Except right. doing it so I think when we say does it, you know, because we're trying to define the word work here. We're yep. saying this sealer and Ovation has done this in my kitchen. Omega obviously is a phenomenal protectant. Mm-hmm. Um but the mustard discolored the ovation. Yeah. It did not, however, discolor the concrete. Right. The concrete was protected. The sealer is what I bleached. Right. Not the concrete. The sealer. Yeah. The sealer kept the anything anything bad from touching the concrete. Mm-hmm. And Which is its job. So it's doing its job. It's doing its job. So turmeric is very yellow. If you've ever mixed anything, made anything with turmeric like a curry or whatever and use like a plastic spatula or spoon or whatever it stains plastic right it stains everything stains wood it stains plastic it it the only thing it doesn't stain is is um stainless steel and uh ceramic or glass um which are all basically non-porous Mm-hmm. But it um, would stain granite. It would stain, sure, it'll stain granite. Yeah. It'll get into the and and the thing is, it it doesn't necessarily penetrate very deeply in some sealers. Like 
in omega novatia what's happened is is it stick it gets into the surface and it sticks to the surface so just wiping it with a, a cloth and a common cleaner does not release it doesn't get rid of it it's like trying to clean a, a pan that's all greasy and only using water that doesn't get rid of it this mm. that's a, the grease and the oil stuck to the pan so you need to use something a little more aggressive common household bleach right so mm. one of the things when i'm developing sealers i test is how does it stand up to straight bleach because that's a common way of getting rid of stains red wine stains grape juice stains uh Blueberry stains, mustard stains, tea stains, organic stains. Stains are discoloration. And if you can just use household bleach, put it on a sponge, put it on a paper towel, let it sit there for a few minutes, let it sit there overnight. It's not going to hurt the sealer. It'll get rid of it. So that's yeah, what yeah. I think too, you know, there's a lot of, a lot, you know, a lot of what we say to people we're training or advising or whatever is, you know, set the expectation, right? Which, right. Absolutely. Um, but that to me only goes so far, right? Because I could set the, I could give them bare concrete and set the expectation. This is going to stain like crazy and we'll call it a patina. And, you know, it's like if I put copper countertops in somebody's house, which would be really cool, actually, it's going to oxidize. It will be green at I've some point. I made them. Yes, they will. They're, it will be green. And you just need to understand that and be okay with that and whatever. I personally, as an artisan, am not okay with that for my kitchen countertops like right. copper honestly i actually think i could be cool with the patina um but i don't know that i would want to live with the i mean it's the like best. having tile countertops right I've had you don't those. Seal they're the grout. yeah they're terrible you don't seal the grout and then the grout gets real gross and you could put a penetrating sealer on it, I suppose, but it would still get real gross. I mean, you think about the penetrating sealers you put in your showers and they still get really gross. Yeah. And so I personally would not want, I want, I want a protective layer on top of, now I don't want it to look like plastic. I don't want it to look like epoxy. Right. I want it to look and feel like concrete, mm -hmm. which is one of the advantages of Omega Innovation is they still look and feel like concrete. Because they're so um, thin, yeah. So... I'm a big fan of topical sealers for that reason. It's like, I want mm -hmm. the actual protection. I want to be able to say and, and feel and understand and live with, it's not going to stain within reason. Um, and I want to be able to tell that to my clients. It's like, look, if it does X, Y, or Z, here's what you do. Not you've ruined your concrete. Right. Um, so, <clears throat> uh, you know, set the expectations, but I, I would hate to have to give a client, you know, something they paid $170 a square foot for and, and then be like, well, don't look at it because it'll stain. Right. You know, or here, here's something else. And years, many years ago, I wrote, I wrote an article on this and I think it's somewhere on the CCI website. It was called my sealer epiphany about who takes responsibility for protecting your concrete. So there's kind of like two broad schools of thought. Um, the, the school of thought that we're, we're in, we're very firmly in, is we as manufacturers of this product. So we, we make the concrete, we choose the sealer we're going to use. And I, I'm even higher than that because I'm making the sealer to, to do what I want it to do. But that's neither here nor there. You know, we're, we're making a choice. Than, than, than thou? 
No, I'm kidding. No. <laughs> uh, I just have another layer of responsibility. How's that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I, I, so I know I'm, 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 time. I'm making my con- I'm making the concrete. I'm choosing the sealer that I'm going to be sealing it with, and by doing that, what I'm what I'm doing is I'm saying I'm setting the expectations of what this can do, what it mm-hmm. can stand up to, what it will resist and how it is going to be maintained. And the choice I make is is passed on to the customer and it's my responsibility to let them know, hey, this is how you take care of it. This is what you have to worry about or this is what you don't have to worry about. And these are the expectations regardless of what sealer you're choosing to exactly. use. Exactly. So you know, we're not going to browbeat you into into choosing Omega Innovation, but as somebody who chooses a high performance coating because there is a vast vast industry that has very deep roots. Look at the auto industry. How many cars don't have paint on them? I can only think what? of one. DeLorean. And it doesn't exist anymore because <laughs> it was too expensive and it only came in one color. And don't touch it because it'll scratch and then it'll look awful. And you can't do anything about it because it's super expensive. And oh, by the way, stainless steel can rust. Um, so, I would still drive a DeLorean though, if we're yeah, honest. yeah, yeah. Even though it was a crap, <laughs> everything underneath the under underneath the skin wasn't that great. Like, yeah, but they looked really cool. It looked really cool. <laughs> yeah, it looked really cool. Right. So, but it's all flash, all flash and no substance kind of thing. I don't um, think it can get to eighty-eight miles an hour. Probably but... not. No, I think in the movie they had to fake it because they couldn't yeah. actually do it. Yeah. So, we as manufacturers choosing high performance coating are basically saying to our customers. We're doing all the thinking for you. All you have to do is comply with our expectations and our rules. Uh, The flip side is going with the natural feel of concrete. So I'm, I'm making my product to appeal to my personal choices and feelings about how I want the concrete to feel. So I want my customers to touch bare concrete or what I pretend to think is bare concrete. And I'm going to be using some sort of penetrating sauce that I smear all over the concrete and hope it actually does something. And common testing shows that 99% of the things that are out there fail. Maybe you found the 1%. That's great. But so, you know, put, put, put straight vinegar on it and let's see what happens. And in 15 minutes, or after an hour, or after eight hours, or after 24 hours, if everybody does that, what what's actually happening? You know, is it actually protecting it? Because that could happen, right? And that puts, is there anything wrong with doing that? No, it's not. I mean, you could well, do that. You could give your customers I mean. absolutely bare concrete, but now it puts 100% of the responsibility on them, which is not unreasonable, right? But here's something that, that I don't. Well, if you're going to do something like that, you cannot warranty. No, very much because it's all the responsibilities on on the customer. But right. here, here's where here's where choices as a manufacturer really start to affect me and the industry as a whole. So, if you start making choices based on your personal feelings as a manufacturer, ignoring the needs of the customer. That's rather short-sighted because I could have the perfect customer, right? 
I could have a customer that says, I want my concrete to acquire a patina. I want to feel bare concrete. I want to feel, you know, I want to have it live, right? I want that living finish, which is just a way of saying it's going to change and oxidize and stain. Great. And they're happy with it. Okay, but this is human psychology. So you and the cust your customer have this relationship that is... My children are awake now. They're at, at a certain level, right? And then it's fairly short-lived. It Really, the, your relationship with your customer only lasts as long as the project. And then mm -hmm. when the project's done, they kind of forget about you. Now, customer has this beautiful concrete that maybe has a sealer that doesn't perform very well or doesn't or stains or whatever. And they've, they've kind of lived with it and they're happy because they made the choice and you gave them what they wanted. And then they have this big party and their best friends come over and their best friends don't know anything about concrete. All they know is that they got this, they just redid their kitchen. They're all excited to see it. And they walk in and the first thing they see is a tea stain or a mustard stain or an etch, etch mark or something. And the homeowner's like happy. Look at these beautiful things. And they're their customers that they're their friends, they're good friends, or their family, maybe their sister, maybe their mother, maybe their father, maybe their brother, maybe their cousin. Their peers come in and say, You paid how much for that? And it's staining. And mm -hmm. all of a sudden their attitude changes like that. Mm -hmm. Right? That's human psychology. And now what was this wonderful asset? now becomes this huge liability and they're going to turn and come back at you and say, Hey, my concrete's staining, fix it. Mm -hmm. But you're like, but you wanted that. Right. Yeah, I actually had an experience. Um, and I was much, uh, earlier, much younger, much more naive. Um, and, and, uh, if, if this other artisan is listening, I won't name them, but they'll know who I'm talking about. Um, and, uh, I got a call from somebody down uh, in Florida. And um, they were like, my concrete stains, I can't get a hold of the artisan. And I was like, this is weird because the artisan I, I know of and I really respect their work. Um, and so anyway, I, I encouraged the, the homeowner to get back in touch with the artisan and they tried and, or they say they tried. Um, and you know blah 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 long story short i gave them price to refinish the you know the the it was bathroom vanity and the bathtub and the shower and and i told them i said now i cannot guarantee that i will get the stains out mm -hmm. i can tell you that i can protect you going forward mm -hmm. um and i repeated i mean that was in the language of the contract that was in my emails that was in my text messages i was very adamant like I cannot necessarily get everything out. I can protect you going forward. So that was the the expectation I set. And I got down there and sure enough, it was all stained and it didn't look like there was a sealer on it at all. And so I asked her a little bit about it. And she was like, well, I it was a t it was tongue oil. And I thought, well, that's kind of a weird. Bad choice. You know, Don't whatever. So anyway, I you know, in place, kind of sanded it and got it ready for a sealer. And I put a new sealer on it and I was like, you're protected going forward. Now she wasn't super happy because her expectation was not the one I set, which was annoying, but here we are, you know, I repeatedly, I could probably pull up text messages and emails and find 
eight instances where I said, I can protect you going forward. That was my like phrase of choice. And I said that to her right after I sealed it before she looked at it. I said that to her before I got there. I said that to her in an email. I said that to her in a contract. I can protect you going forward. I can't do anything else necessarily. And um, anyway, so I, I leave and and I finally got in touch with the, uh, I finally decided to get in touch with the other artisan. Um, and I was like, can you give me a little background here? And his response was, yeah, she begged me for a tongue oil finish. She did not want a sealer. She wanted it to live, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. And I didn't warranty it because she chose that. And so really it was actually on her and mm -hmm. I made the mistake of trying to fix something that I should not have gotten involved in at all. Right. Um, and so, I, you know, it's just if you as an artisan are going to choose a finish or a lack thereof because you like the way that it looks and feels to you when the concrete is new, please think about five or seven or ten years down the line. Um, because, you know, and and I think no matter how hard somebody begged me now, now back then, yeah, I, I surely would have made that mistake, too. I mean, you know, none of us are are immune right there are so i've made so many mistakes like there none of us are immune to mistakes and i guarantee you that's one i would have made had i not had that experience right uh, and i'm sure that this other guy has not made that choice again because for the same reason i mean it's just it's a headache um and you know so we ended up getting into a sealer talk which i didn't really intend to but it happens <laughs> it happens uh, um you know but, but this this is another facet of the larger topic we're, we're diving into, we started last week, we're going to continue on, is the nuances of this industry of, and the sort of, and this is sort of one of these um, minefields of picking and choosing bits of information and, and ideas uh, without knowing, having greater context of, or a greater understanding of things. Um, I was, we were, before we started recording this, we, we were chatting about some of the things we we're going to talk about. And, um, you know, I had mentioned how, and I've done this too, like everybody does it. You did it and you're going to give me an example. And I've done it too, is let's say, uh, I got to fix something on my car and like, I grew up fixing cars, so I have lots of tools and things like that. So I have the tools and I have basic knowledge of stuff. I even have. You have a Haynes manual in there somewhere? No. I have the service manual, right? Oh, right. All boy. like 800 pages of it. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, there are things that it doesn't necessarily talk about. So it's like, hey, I needed to change. Um, you know, I needed to change the oxygen sensors and not, it's not like I don't know what they are and I don't, you know, the manual tells me that, but where are, how, what's the best way to get to them? Because I don't want to have to take the rear bumper off. It's a pain in the butt. And maybe the, maybe there's some tips. So I went onto YouTube and sure it's like, okay, if you do this and use these combinations of extensions, you can get up there and it's easy and that's not covered in the book. Right. So I used YouTube, for instance, as a way of solving a very specific problem. Mm -hmm. But 
But YouTube is not necessarily generally meant to solve general problems. Right, right. I, it doesn't assume that I have the tools, know how to use them, or anything peripheral to that, like uh, how do I even know I need to change the oxygen sensors or anything like that? You got to get there, right? So it, there's there's a lot, there, there's a whole galaxy of information that I need to have an awareness of and a certain level of expertise to be able to even get to the point where I'm going to decide, hey, I'm going to do this myself mm -hmm. and I'm going to be successful at it. Now, in a situation where um, somebody's trying to say, getting into this con into concrete, making things out of concrete, and you know, because we sell we sell products, we sell sealers, as I mentioned before. Uh, we we have a, our line of alpha products, which we're expanding, and um, like our alpha fluidizer, for instance, it's the most powerful. Oh my gosh! GBP. We'll use these letters because I guess letters are important, right? The most, or TMP, the most powerful plasticizer on the market compared to all the other ones, even with letters on them that I've checked, it's more powerful than that. Very, very huge seller, right? And so we it's get a lot of people. It is a, it, it is a 20 pound sledgehammer. And if uh, that's what it's for, like you want to make fluid concrete, you want to make self-consolidated concrete. It is the tool to use. So we get. I've gotten a few emails recently. Uh, Kim, our uh, customer service person, who, if you ever call us, she's the one you talk to. Um, she'll get these emails, and I'll, I'll, she'll forward them to me. And she's like, "Man, this, we've got a couple of these people are very abrasive and def, you know, defensive." And they're like, "Why are they? Be, why are they being basically rude?" And it's because you're like, "Well." I want to I want to buy your product, but I want you to tell me how much to use. It's like you can't like, well, do that. In the description right there, it says, "Here's a suggested starting point," mm -hmm. but we can't tell you exactly what you need to use because we don't know anything about your mix. You're going to have to do trial batches, and me do people not read? Yeah, I mean, I've I've seen, um, and, and that's know. this is a very isolated. These are a couple isolated cases here. A lot of people have very very good success with using oh, things. It's that. like, but I did have to do experimentation first, right? But it's uh, no different than say, I want to make a color. Like I want to make the color. Uh, here I am pointing behind that that chair, which under white light is sort of a. Um, it's a. This is going to sound really weird. It's a warm orangey cranberry red. That that's a aeroserinin chair. Uh, that's an uh, interesting fabric, it's original fabric, and it's got a, it's a really cool red. Now, if I wanted to make that color out of concrete, I need to understand um, color theory. Color theory. I need to understand uh, what pigments are available, how to blend them, dosing, and things like that. And even with that general sense of understanding, I actually have to, have to start making samples colors, and trying. Right. right. So this whole like topic of under of learning how to master your pro material and learning how to be successful with things often comes down to, Hey, I got to just make some concrete. I got to yeah, see what I think there's a big assumption uh, in a lot of industries, uh, but this one is not exempt that, you know, 
if I go and buy the best X, Y, or Z, you know, as purported by the manufacturer, um, and again, we're not exempt to that either. I think Omega, you know, we think Omega's the best. Jeff's the manufacturer. So, you know, there's some bias there. I have a lot of, I mean, I've been using Omega longer than anybody else in the industry as a production sealer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love it. So, you know, there's there's experience there that 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 informs my opinion. But, you know, if you go and buy the best X and then expect that it will work because you bought it and not, you know, I think that the manufacturers are assuming a certain level of understanding pre-purchase. And so, you know, if you as a complete novice go and buy the perfect concrete countertop mix, whatever that might be, but you don't know how to mix colors. You don't know what the pigments are. You don't, I mean, you're, uh, you're trying to make fire engine red with red oxide. That will not work. Yeah. Why I, could, I could go it's buy red. a $10,000 digital camera because right. it's the best. That doesn't make me a photographer. That doesn't make me a good photographer. It means I have a very expensive camera that probably doesn't make, make, pictures any better than what my phone can do because I don't like, have to I use go it. buy a you know 1.4 million dollar Bugatti yeah as for my 14 year old you know I don't have a 14 year old but it's like for my teenager and expect them to drive yeah no that's not how that works just because I bought the best of something doesn't mean you know and it may very well it may or may not be the best I think it's worth testing yourself that's one thing we've said throughout this podcast throughout Jeff's career you know, in my uh, comings and goings as a, you know, since I've been an instructor at the CCI, I've said, this may be the best, test all of them, right? Mm-hmm. You know, our, our our modus operandi is test your stuff. Whether you think it's the best or not, like, put it up against something else. I think there's something that um, this culture lately has lacked. It's like, I've... It, debates aren't a thing you know uh testing isn't a thing it's like i want to put what i believe to be the best whether it's product or argument or whatever up against what somebody else believes to be the best product or argument or whatever and see what actually stands up because that's how you get informed and and you know to me if something else stands up better i'll change my opinion um but i'd like to see it happen you know i'd like to um and and a lot of people just want to be told what's going to work. And and sometimes we can't tell you that, you know, it's like what plasticizer dose or fluidizer dose is going to give you uh, self-consolidating concrete. I don't know water. what concrete mix you're using. What, yeah, know what, what water cement ratio you're yeah, using. What's your water cement ratio? How much pozzling are you using if you're using Portland? How, uh, you know, what do you want it to Are you to vibrating like? the concrete or not? Well, and, How are you casting? What's your, what's your <laughs> mixer? Are you using a single head column mix? Or are you using a single head Harbor Freight mix? Or are you using a double head column mix? Or are you using a, uh, you know, you know, Nimer vertical shaft, shaft mixer? mixer? Or are you using a Rimcraft? Like all of these things make a difference in how your plasticizer disperses and works. Um, and so, you know, 
longer periods of mixing with, with an arm, all right, with an Eimer uh, vertical shaft mixer is going to let the concrete aerate out, you know, degas a little bit more. So you're going to get more self-consolidating, but you need high shear for GFRC. And so, like, there's a lot of things that you've got to know that you wouldn't know if you don't know them. <laughs> well, you know, you, I think you I mentioned this early, early on. You, you know what you know, you know what you don't know, but you have no you clue what, what you, you know. don't know. And it's it's that vast dark universe of unknown that that's where success is, right? That's the more you push that veil of unknown away, away from you. And if you don't know that it, it even exists, you can't go and learn on your own. That's why you, it's so important to go learn from somebody who's more experienced and who has greater knowledge I heard somebody recently um, say uh, that that you need two uh, you need two very important relationships in your in your life. Uh, you need a mentor and a mentee relationship mm -hmm. because you need to um, you know when you teach you learn more. I think um, and and then when you are mentored, if when you are a mentee, you are humbled. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think everybody needs both. Absolutely. You know, you need somebody who is, is, is mentoring you and you need somebody to mentor. And, and, you know, so that's one of the reasons I accepted the invitation when Jeff said, Hey, can you come, uh, you know, work with me on these classes, you know, because I recognized my own need to gain more experience and knowledge, um, while, you know, aiming to help other people right. uh, in my, in my craft, in my trade. So. And um, the, here, here's the challenge for me, right? I've been doing this for a long, long time and there are very, I don't want to say there's nobody cause that would be arrogant and absolutely incorrect. Um, there's nobody that I can learn from because I learned from a lot of people, but I have to now look outside of this industry uh, to other, other professions for deeper aspects like when we did the at the legends class in may uh last month um the big project that we did was post-tensioning and uh, it's instagram's was, favorite table right now right is it now have um, you listen have you seen the um <laughs> i think the the video of that table is up to a hundred thousand views great Great. That's fantastic. So, you know, not, not, again, not to get off on the topic, but like post-sensioning is, is certainly not a topic that's new in the civil engineering world. Um, it's right now, it's probably it relatively mysterious in our little niche though. Right. But it's, again, it's not, not new. And, and there are a, a, a handful of people who have taught it and a bunch of people who do it. Um, and I have resisted talking about it and teaching it mainly for two reasons. One, uh, I didn't fully understand how to analyze it from a structural standpoint. And I'm not satisfied of just going seat of the pants. Hey, I'm going to go to Home Depot and buy some threaded rod, stick it in a plastic pipe and tighten some nuts and, and hope for the best. Because that's not how you do things. And that's certainly not how you can teach somebody uh that's just winging it and 
and faking it. So I wanted to really understand how is it done in the real world? Like, how is it done for building? So I lived in, I used to live in, Lena and I lived in a, a building that was made out of concrete, it had post-tension concrete floors. Uh, that's how a lot of concrete buildings are done. And I ordered a, a textbook from um, a very, very well-respected uh, university in California, written by the son of one of the guys who learned from the engineer who developed at T.Y. Lin. He developed the modern way of analyzing post-tension concrete. So I went as close to the source as I could. And I had to teach myself how to do this because I didn't learn this in, in, in school. It was an, a, an advanced topic. And I, I changed my, you know, reinforced concrete was very much something I was interested in, but it wasn't my, not what I had my master's degree. And so I never got to that aspect of it, that, that facet of it. So it was uh, an avenue that was new to me and unknown. And because I'm not a known, if I'm not comfortable under, if I don't, don't understand, I'm not going to teach somebody right. about it. And I'm certainly not going to pretend I know about it because I've done it 16 times. Uh, that's well, not and, and I will say as you know, I've worked with you for seven years now. And I, I mean, we started planning that table six months before we made it. I mean, so you really did a deep dive on, and the, I mean, to the calculator, I'd, I'm sure you've got a, like the calculator that you developed for it, you know, because people are like, well, two and a half turns is not, it's like, doesn't it, that's not a number. It's like, well, it does correspond to a specific amount of torque. Yeah. And um, it, it's, you know, you know if, if we didn't publish the, the lecture, I gave, gave what it seemed like 20 minutes, but it was probably like 45 minutes or so. It was, it was an hour. <laughs> an hour long lecture of, how, you know, the, the high level stuff of why I configured it the way I configured it, which is not the way everybody else does it, because that's not how it's done in the real world. Um, and then why we turned the nuts the number of times and I did the math using the modulus of elasticity of the steel and the pit thread pitch and the length and all that. So when you, when you take away, and this kind of gets at the heart of what I'm getting at is when you take away all the deep background stuff that leads up to a particular process or decision or, or step that you take, and you only say the end result, you, and the end result of this is yes, we're going to turn that nut three turns or two and a half turns, and you don't say anything else. It's easy to misconstrue. Well, how did you get there? Are you just making that up? And without the understanding of knowing, well, I need to stretch this rod so many inches because that's going to give me the develop the the stress in that rod to give me the predicted upload that this configuration does i'm being vague here and not being very specific on purpose because it would just take too long to explain um you know if you only say turn it two times well there's no context like that doesn't apply to everything and so it doesn't apply to everything it, it's specific to this exact project and no other project you can't apply that as a general wave your hands that's that's how you do it um and that extends to things like your super plasticizer i can't tell somebody look always use 
a half a percent dose or always use um, two tablespoons, you know, if you measure things in tablespoons, which you shouldn't be doing, but some people do, because I don't know what you're putting it in and what you're trying to get out of it. Like if you, if you say, okay, I've got, I, I like to use props. Let's pretend this is uh, a pigment. I've never used it before. It's, it's Acme concrete pigment and it's this magic clear pigment, right? And I've never used it before. And the manufacturer says, use this amount. Okay. For I can, what? <laughs> for what? What am I going to get out of it? The only way I know what that amount is going to do is to make the concrete and look at it. Well, what if it's too much? Then I need to use less. Well, how much less do I use? I don't know until I do it, right? I can, I can guess I can use, maybe I'm going to do half as much, or maybe I'm going to use a fifth as much, but I won't know what that color is going to be until I make it. So that's, that's an important thing. That's part of that investigation closing loop of you have a set of instructions that are guidance, but mm -hmm. that guidance is based on knowing what you're supposed to do and getting results that mean something. So I wanted to kind of touch back on, uh, we were talking well, okay. about- Okay, so, so in, in a roundabout way, we're basically saying, look, we, I mean, that's the whole reason that, that you founded the Concrete Countertop Institute was you wanted to teach people how to fish rather than just giving them a fish and saying, yeah. You know, because it's like if you just put a hook in the water, you're not going to get anything. You have to know what kind of bait for the type of fish that you're trying to catch in the weather conditions. Mm -hmm. And you have to know where to fish to get the type yeah. of fish. You can't yeah. go, you know, get mahi-mahi in a river. Right. Just because you have a pole in a body of water doesn't mean you're going to catch anything. Right. So it's like we're trying to illustrate to anybody listening, you know, it's like we want you to be successful. We understand that there are a lot of gray areas. I mean, you mentioned Dylan Myers earlier. He does a lot of things that that are artsy and uh, rule breaky. Yeah, I mean his his whole thing is learn you know uh, learn the rules, be an expert in the rules, so you can break them like an artist or something like that. Yeah. It's like yeah, but you got to know them first, and so. Right. Um, you know, I think, again, Patrick Galladay, his podcast is called The Craftsman Collective. So um, hopefully that comes back and go listen to it. But um, he has a lot of techniques that break rules, too. And I think that that's great, provided you know the rules. And he does. Um, and, and there's so, a flip you know, side to that, too, is if you say, well, I don't have the time or it's too expensive to learn or to be taught. I'm going to kind of do this on my own. I'm going to cherry pick what do you actually these, spend you know pearls of wisdom here and there to help me get through my project if you kind of follow that process of having very spotty knowledge and then saying well i'm just going to buy or rely on a product where somebody has thought for me and i don't have to think because it's all in the bag right the the sure you can do what that product lets you do right but you don't know how to solve problems you don't know how to diagnose challenges and what if you're asked or tasked to do something that's outside of the scope that that material that product will let you do 
Well, now you're left to wing it. And sure, this is this the, this is the realm of hobbyists, and mm -hmm. a lot of this industry, you know, having been in this for close to 25 years now, a lot of the, the people people are approached as a hobby. You know, they they tinker, they play. Things are changing all the time, and that's all well and good, right? But CCI is business oriented first. So when we say we want you to be successful, it's not about just having a piece of cap concrete that you're happy with. It's being able to support your family and run a business and be profitable and knowing how to set expectations and have a good contract and deal with how do you, how do you handle conflict? How do you handle issues? How do you... Uh, prevent them in the first place. So it's a much broader scope than just, here's how you cast a an X or a Y or a Z, or this is how you make a certain kind of thing or a certain kind of concrete or a certain kind of finish. That's that's very tactical. That's That's very superficial because those are things that are done to a piece of concrete or a project. Those are not going to necessarily make you a better business person or a manufacturer and it's, mm -hmm. it's the larger universe of of all the the knowledge and experience that go into running a shop and running a business with employees and all that that makes you successful it's yeah. not just what mix do i buy or what sealer do i use now those are important aspects of it because yeah. You choose the wrong product or the wrong sealer or the wrong pigment at your peril. Um, oh, I hear a but child. those those not are not necessarily guarantees of success. Yeah, exactly. And oh. welcome to yeah, come meet my children. It's you've met them, but yes. the audience doesn't. Hello. <laughs> say hi. Say hey, hi. To, say hi to Mr. Jeff. You're famous. You're on the yeah, internet. You're on, you're on the internet now. This is like a YouTube. It's this is going to be on YouTube. Don't you always have you always wanted to be on YouTube? Yeah. Talk to YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> Can you say hi? Dada. Yes. Yeah. In, in ten that? years, when you see this, guys, you're going to be so embarrassed. Oh, it's my. <laughs> oh my goodness! Hey, have fun with Nana today, okay? Okay. Bye, guys. You. Love me... I love you, I love you. I love you. Have a good day, okay? Bye bye, and I love you. <laughs> All right. I love you. Say bye bye to Mr. Jeff. <laughs> I know. All right. Are you happy with So happy. And it's a show. Yep. All right. I love you. I love you. Have a good day. Bye-bye and I love you. Well, we're, we're after, we're beyond an hour and yep. we really haven't even talked about kind of what we were planning on, but that's okay. Conversation and we want to, uh, that, I think that's we're what, conversating. We are conversating. We're conversating. Um, yeah. So, uh, next week we will loosely probably talk about, um, getting uh not not really because i feel like we've done like a deep dive into concrete mix designs but i think a deeper like 
exploration of 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 something to that effect um you know it's it it it's there's still a lot of misconception and i even get this from people who come to class and are mm -hmm. have kind of already read up on stuff what are some of the what are some of the ingredients do or how do things work together and mm -hmm. it's well and and one thing i would encourage anybody listening you know well come to class first of all um yeah. you know because we got august 7th through 11th uh, we've got December 4th through 8th. We've got November uh, 9th and 10th. Yeah. Um, and and I think that there's a lot of like, oh, well, I'm not going to do this for a career, so maybe I don't need to come. And I think that's, you know, if you're a general contractor and you get asked for it a lot and you don't have somebody in your area and you want to, you know, be able to provide that to your clients, well, come yourself or send a superintendent or project manager or Maybe you're a homeowner, but you're really intent on doing things the right way. Mm -hmm. um, honestly, the price of the class is going to be less than you would have paid for all the countertops by a large margin. So right. it's going to be worth your time there because you're going to have to live with it. So it's like it doesn't you don't have to be somebody doing this as a career to come to class, um, you know, and I'm going to throw out a challenge here. Mm. Every single designer, architect, whoever who is interested in using concrete come to class, learn how it is because I guarantee yeah. what you think it is and how it's made. Isn't the way it really is done. Well, and it'll open your eyes too. I mean, you think yeah. about, you know, designers and architects have to do a lot of continuing education, right? So right. if you're an architect or you're a designer and you want to spec something like this, which you should, cause it's awesome. Um, come, and recognize that, you know, it's not just countertops, like we're the right. concrete countertop Institute, because that's what it was, you know, when you founded the, the company, but like, we're talking, you know, if you're a commercial, whoever, FF and E, we're talking about, you know, uh, little lampshades, we're talking that's about concrete, yeah, right? It's uh, an eighth um, of an inch thick. <laughs> I, I've, you know, I just did plaques, I've done uh, medallions, I mean, we're doing bathtubs and range hoods and all sorts of crazy stuff Yeah, um, that doesn't, that, you know, falls under the category of, I don't know, let's figure it out. Let's make something crazy. Let's make something awesome. So even if it's just, you know, a continuing education of learn more about the things you're specking and learn how to do it yourself if you want to, but learn, learn how to set the expectations for your clients so right. that, you know, whether you're doing it or you found a talented artisan, um, you, you know, you can you can kind of help field those questions. So I think it's an incredibly valuable resource for anybody. Um, How who, can you design mm -hmm. something when you don't understand what the material works. is or how it works or how it's made? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So I think that challenge is excellent. Yeah. Come on. Come on to class. All you architects, designers, uh, builders, you know, we want we want to get to know you and um, and and, you know, want you to be able to to spec something and build something and use something that you understand really really well right. um you know it's like i i like to work on cars you know like you i grew up working on cars so i've got a an old cj7 out there in the garage and you know there was a there was a puddle under it one day and you know it took i i, I smelled the fluid i knew it wasn't oil i knew it wasn't you know, water, I knew it wasn't X, Y, or Z. It's, it was power steering fluid. And how do I know that? Because I have a base knowledge of understanding yeah. how the, how the, you know, motor functions. So all of that to say, 
we've we've given you a lot of analogies this week. We've got an hour and fourteen minutes plus our time pre-recording. Um, so, but yeah, we we we're out there to help. Uh, we're recording this to help. We're spending our time doing this to help. We want you to be successful. Um, so thanks for joining the Maker in the Mix podcast as we went over an hour. Um, it's all right. And, uh, yeah. Well, so, we want to hear from you guys too. Like, obviously this is not a, um, it could be, you could be on, you could join us. Um, but send us some feedback. Yeah. Tell absolutely. us, tell us tell some of the challenges you're faced with. Tell us some war stories, positive, happy things we can share with folks. Tell us some, uh, you know, hair pulling frustrations. Yeah. And we've got, uh, I know we've got at least one guest planned. We're waiting on some availability from him. Uh, so excited to have, uh, have him on. So we'll, we'll, we'll plug that soon. But, um, so we've talked about ovation. We talked about Omega. Uh, one thing I failed to mention, ovation can be used to augment the color of the countertop. So it does not enhance the color. So if you want to use it as a primer under Omega, do that. And, um, if you've gotten this far, you'll get a you'll get a tip. Uh, I just discovered a new way of priming Omega, and I'm going to do a video on it at some point soon. But mm -hmm. um, discovered that you can prime Omega the same way that you do the finish coat, which is just in a spray bottle and back roll. Um, so I will give more details on that in a blog post or another podcast or a video of some kind. So be looking out for that. So if you made it this far, there's your tip. <laughs> See, it's um, important to stick around all the way to the end because that's where all the good stuff is. That's right. Um, all right, Jeff. Well, I'll chat with you later. I'm yep. going to throw the outro up here, so don't leave quite yet. But um, but look forward to next week's podcast. And uh, thank you all for listening. Have a great day. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening to the Maker in the Mix podcast. If you liked the content and want to hear more, please like and subscribe. Uh, feel free to follow us on YouTube as well as Instagram, Facebook, and check out the website, www.concretecountertopinstitute.com. And of course, we'd love to see you at one of our upcoming classes. Tune in next week for more informative content. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Maker in the Mix podcast. If you liked the content and want to hear more, please like and subscribe. Uh, feel free to follow us on YouTube as well as Instagram, Facebook, and check out the website, www.concretecountertopinstitute.com. And of course, we'd love to see you at one of our upcoming classes. Tune in next week for more informative content. Thanks.